Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Greetings today, friends. Welcome to today's episode of the Eternal Optimist podcast. I'm your hoach, your hoach, Matt Drinkon. Great to see you today, friends. Well, great just to have your ear. And as you listen in today, I would encourage you to really Turn the antennas up because today we have someone special, Mr. Philip Stutz uh, is a best-selling author. He comes from a cutthroat world of political and corporate marketing. He's been described as a marketing maverick, reshaping business success using the secret formula that gets presidents elected. He's contributed to over 1,461 election victories, including three U.S. presidential victories, and he works with multiple Fortune 200 companies. He plays a game of political and corporate marketing on the very highest level. He battles it out with fierce competition, multi-billion dollar budgets, and a win or die mentality. He's the founder and CEO of Win Big Media. It's a corporate marketing agency, and he's the founder and executive chairman of Go Big Media, a political marketing ad firm. He's spoken in front of 50 plus million people in his career. He's repped by Vayner Speakers, that's Gary Vaynerchuk Speaker Bureau, and Kepler Speakers, the largest speakers bureau in the United States. And he's made more than 563 national media appearances, including on ESPN, CBS, Fox Business, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. Oh my goodness. Wow. The list goes on and on and on, and I could continue to read for minutes more. He's been recognized by a number of famous speakers out there. Uh, Just reading one, Gary Vaynerchuk said, I love Philip's vibe. Michael Hyatt said, in the last 12 months, everything about marketing has changed. No one understands this better than Philip Stutz. He is a marketing genius and he's a hell of a good man. Uh, He's a close personal friend of mine and I wanna welcome him to our show. Without any further ado, let's dive right into an amazing interview with Mr. Philip Stutz. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that, I would love to welcome my dear friend, Mr. Philip Stutz, the podcast. Philip, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Drinkon, that's why I became a doctor, to save children's lives. Yeah, well, that's important. It's an important thing we do in the world, (laughs) saving lives through one podcast interview at a time. So I'm glad we've already saved one child today. And for the low price of a dollar a day, friends, you can also save the lives of children, too. There's nothing worse than starting a podcast with an inside joke. <laughs> yes. And then not knowing when to cut it off or how far to take it, because I could literally take it forever and not know when to stop. 
So let me just start out by saying this. I'm really honored. So excited for your podcast. Love some of the guests you've already had on. But what everybody else out there needs to know is one of my favorite people in the world is Matt Drinkine. And we've gotten to know each other a lot. It's almost like here on my podcast now. But you're just a genuinely great guy. And like I told my wife this the other day, I said, there's like three people in my life that have come into my life in the last 48 years where every time I think of them, I smile. And Matt Drinkon is one of those guys. So I'm honored to be here, buddy. Thank you for having me. And yeah, let's rip into this thing. That is a very appreciated intro. Thank you. Very humbling, Philip. And as we dive in, yeah, our message is hope. Our message is to leave our listeners feeling inspired that they can do it too. And we do that by sharing some of our challenges. So I'm going to ask you about a couple of challenges and you can take yeah, it. I got lots of those. You can take it any direction you want. And I was All thinking right. about I got a lot of challenges. Yeah, let's just kick it off. T- take me into the deep end, wherever you'd like to start a challenge you have or are overcoming. My challenge right now is to find the deeper purpose of my life. I got my order all wrong. My first purpose was business, then you know, being a dad, then being a husband. And then I, I woke up one day and I went, oh my God, eh, I got nothing for me. I'm not looking out for myself. I'm not, I'm learning to love myself. I think that's something of my generation. We weren't taught a lot of, we were told to, taught to get in line and follow the rules and don't rock the boats and, you know, all these things. And you go through life and then you, you take what you saw and you end up modeling it as an adult. And so I, you know, whether I was, I've done a lot of work. And so, uh, you know, with therapy and uh, I've even done psychedelics and done like this, but really I'm getting to this point where the business is successful, but I don't need to be the day-to-day business guy. And one of the things when we met, which was about 15 months ago, I came to the conclusion that I had to put myself on sort of a timeline to get to a point where I could be more in balance in my life. And so I believe probably this is the challenge. And that's where the purpose comes from. Because if every day, which has been pretty much for 20-something years now, I lock myself inside an you know, eight and a half by 10 box, which is an office, and just work for 10 hours a day. And then I come out and I'm miserable because I walk downstairs or walk out of my office and, my, and I'm like, you know, where is the parade celebrating all my hard work? And everybody in my family is like, huh? <laughs> you know, shut up, old man. Get dinner ready. Like, you know, like, and so... I'm learning how to do a better job of balancing all of the various factors in my life, various, you know, being a dad, being a husband, loving myself, creating time for myself, the things that I want to do, which I've never really done before. And, and then at the same time, enjoying and being successful with my, the, the companies we've created and built. I'm so, you know what? I'm such an ADD human being. Maybe this interview will, will be a very all over the place interview. But I'm so ADD that for me, when I find something I'm interested in, you can't unlock me out of that focus. And so I love business and I'm all in on business. And then I'll go on vacation with my family and you can't get me to even think about business. I'm all in on family. And then, you know, like my daughter went away to camp a few weeks ago for three weeks and I was for three weeks, it was all in on my wife and we were just all in on each other. Like no time for work, no time to be a dad because my daughter's at camp. It was just 
spending time with my wife and making memories and doing other. And so while that's awesome, it, it leaves me exhausted and it doesn't create more balance. And so what I feel like is in the balance of creating balance in my life at 48, which is what I am now, that I'm going to find a bigger purpose with where the rest of my life should go. And so that's sort of the challenge I'm kind of working through right now. Thank you for sharing. Here's what I heard. A couple of brilliant things. And if there's an opportunity here for any listeners, then Philip's already shared some brilliance. And here might be one way to look at it. Number one, you talked about a timeline to balance. Yeah, I gave myself 18 months in April of 2021. Timeline to balance, or I I would frame it harmony, but a timeline to balance. And then here are two points I heard that came out of your mouth. One is that at some point on that timeline, you decided to work on your purpose. You decided to get back to you and figure out your why. Why is it most important to you? You've done business. You've done well at that. You've done well at times in parenting, at times in being a spouse. So you've done well at times here and there. And when you're all in, you're all in at that time and it's great. And what you're learning right now, and this is the second bullet point, is that you're in a frame right now of learning, learning about yourself and learning how to learn to balance and harmonize all those things together. So yeah, I screwed up. I listened to all the gurus and all the motivational people. And then I went, yeah, I need to go a hundred hours a week. And woo, I'm, you know, I'm a hustler and all that, that look, everybody wants, like I was on a podcast the other day and said, Oh, what's the secret sauce? I don't know what the secret sauce is. I know what it is for me, but I'm different than probably most people. So what I'm seeking balance maybe other people have balance and they need to get unbalanced a little bit maybe maybe it depends on what you're looking for like you're talking about balance right towards what end what end are we looking to get to if it's success over here if it's a great parent great spouse great whatever what end are we looking for what are you what are you looking for now like what is the the end goal like at the end of the 18 months you'll feel like i have succeeded or i found my balance is there a place you can well, I feel like I'm going to birth my real journey then. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I've started the journey. I'm pregnant right now, let's just say. Oh, <laughs> nice. it, but I'm pregnant. Kind of moody, always you hungry. Know? Okay, got it. <laughs> Very hormonal. But I'm dabbling, right? I'm doing things for myself for the first time. I'm, I've worked on my personal brand for about 10 years maniacally, and I haven't done with it in literally two months. And I'm okay with that. Like I've basically said, I'm going to basically take what the universe gives me. And if it means that the brand that I worked on for 10 years, which has put me on, you know, over 300 TV, national TV appearances, over 300 national podcast appearances and doing all those things, putting out, writing two books and getting paid a lot of money to be on stage and get speeches. And if, and if that in, in a year from now, the, the, the universe doesn't provide and say, this is what you should be doing. I'm not going to do it anymore. And if the universe says, oh, here are 27 opportunities you've been dying to do, then I'm going to look at those and choose the ones I want to do. But right now, I've so sort of manifested all of these things. I've pushed like a sled up a hill for 10 years. And I don't know if it served me all that well. I mean, it served me really well in business, but I don't know if it served me well or anywhere else. And so I like it. I enjoy it. But, you know, I have all these people right now, Matt, they're like, oh, you got to like build products around your brand and then sell marketing products and then do events and host, you know, 300 people and all. And I'm like that. I want to throw up 
thinking about something like that. That has no interest in my brain right now, right? Yeah, yeah. But if something showed up in the universe and said, oh, hey, I want to help you do that. I'll do all the work. You show up and be the artist. Then I'd be like, oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. But what happens is I have to do all the damn work. And then that pulls me away from loving myself, loving my wife the way she needs to be loved, being t- having time with my daughter, all that stuff. And it's like, I'm going to say no to those things from now on. Yeah, it feels like you just opened a, a huge invitation to anyone listening who wants to be that person and support and aid, advise, engage, just serve that mission, that purpose for you. You love for them to come in and do that. You're, you're practically inviting someone, but they got to do the work and they got to step up and do it because you, you're getting ready to open the new chapter where you work on you and everything's been leading up to a point. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe nothing happens. And then that's what it's supposed to be. But but I don't have to I don't have to seek significance except the significance of what I value in life. Mm. Okay. And not the significance of others. Yes. And you value in life what? What might be some of those core values or, or building blocks? that you're working with right now? Relationships. Mm -hmm. Probably number one, because I have not valued relationships for most of my life. I don't have many friends. I have not, you know, I'm sort of a loner. I could be alone for like days, weeks on end. But what I've found is that by isolating myself, I'm just trying to protect myself. And when I'm around other people and I'm with people I care about, I'm much more fulfilled in my life. And so what I'm trying to do is value relationships first. That could be with myself. That could be with my wife or my child or just buddies, right? And so I don't really have a grand plan right now. I'm trying to stay focused to get my businesses where they need to get so that by January, I can run sort of, I can get out of running the day-to-day of those businesses and I can manage them from above, but have time for relationships in my life. Mm. So manage them from above is a place that you'd like to get to by January. And let's say you're there, you're there. And then the next offense that you're going to play in your life is towards relationships and going all into relationships that are important. Where might be a place you start? If relationships is the place you're playing often. Well, I talk about things showing up, but with relationships, it's the one thing I haven't really been proactive on. So I've started having, you know, reaching out to friends and playing more golf with them or going to have coffee with them or I'm going on a camping trip in August and I've organized the whole thing with a bunch of buddies. And I've never done something like that for my wife and I pretty much have a trip every month planned for now until like March of next year. And so trying to just prioritize loving, caring, great relationships, meaningful relationships, even my business partners, more, we, my, I have one main business partner and he and I are like, we're, we're sort of mentoring these other CEOs in our companies. And I want to get to know them and mentor them and coach them to be great CEOs. And, I just want to prioritize better relationships so I have more impact and more meaning in my life. I love that you're starting with people first. When you've, you've been successful in the business and from that's been the focus, and now you're on the journey to get to relationships and you started by naming specific people. So from what I can tell as a coach, you have a strategic battle plan 
you have systems in place to get that done in your business with people and like you and your wife having a trip every month till March of next year. Have you ever done that before, by the way, with your wife? I've had a trip with her every single month since May of, no, no, I said about every single month since February of 2020. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. We go, we do something and it, it, it could be with our daughter. It could be just a, the two of us, but yeah, I mean, it's nuts. We're about to go to Washington DC for about, we have a home up there. So we're going to go up there for about 10 days and we're going to go to the Caribbean. Then we're going to go to a football game. I'm trying to think what else. Then we're going to go up to new England in the fall and you know, it just on and on and on. Hmm. So prioritizing relationships, you and your wife locked in time together and you and your daughter, how is that working? Always. always? Man, it's, yeah, it's always good. Okay. Well, then what relationships, other other relationships are there? You've got those? Well, it's work relationships because I tell you this, I, I'm a bull in the China shop and it doesn't make for very good work relationships. So certain people can handle me and, and most people can't. And I don't mean that in a very positive way towards me. And so what I want to do is what's deep down in my heart is I'm a hard driver because I do value other people and helping other people succeed. But I feel like I know how to do it better than, than others, right? So it's it made me a really good entrepreneur. It's made me a really crappy manager. And so I, I want to get better at that skill set. And I, I, it's not what's in my heart. My heart's not to be difficult to other people. My, my heart is to help other people. And so I need to show that. I need to connect the dots between what my intention is and what my action is. Love it. And I think we've found a good place to settle in for our show. Uh, there's a challenge that I've been looking for, and I think you just described it perfectly. You're a high-level leader, successful in your business. You've got time scheduled with your family. You've, you've got that. And what you just shared is that you may not have been the easiest or the nicest or the funnest person to work with as a leader slash manager. So if there's someone listening who, let's say they are a leader and they need to go and repair or mend or strengthen relationships with employees or vendors or stakeholders, in your mind, how are you going about that? What's, what's step one if you want to say something to them to start the process? Well, I had to. I mean, I, I got, I've been sat down many times by people in my business and said, eh, this isn't working for me. So first of all, it's understanding where your behavior comes from. That's step one. But the hardest part is once you understand where that behavior comes from, you have to change your behavior. And I feel like that's probably the gap I've had for years now. And just, I've made a little bit of progress, but it's all tactics, right? But I feel like more recently, as you and I experienced in a recent conference together, I just came out of that and said, mm, the pain is too great. I'm going to change, right? We Most people don't make change until the pain is too big. And I've experienced this many times, especially with my health. And so I went, you know what? No more. I don't want to live my life and be the way I've been and expect everybody to come around to my side. So I've, you know, I'm in therapy. I've hired a, a coach. I'm spending an exorbitant amount of money, but here's the deal. Like people are like, Oh, I don't want to pay for therapy or whatever it is. Well, it's like, you know what? Let me, let me give you a metaphor. I take about 95 supplements a day, 95 pills. Okay. But I have a rare esophageal disease where my esophagus doesn't work. So in order to take a pill, 
it lodges into my esophagus and doesn't go into my stomach unless I force water, lots and lots of water. So you take 95 of those a day and the traffic jam and the pain that comes with that. And people are like, why do you do that? Well, I do it because I don't want to take prescription meds for this particular disease I have. But ultimately, I probably spend about two grand a month on supplements. And people are like, that is an insane number. And I'm like, well, what, what's the price of your health in a long life? And then what's the price of the same thing? What's the price of relationships if you're not getting it right? If you're screwing it up over and over and over again, what, what's the price of that? And so I don't, if I'm going to invest my money, it's going to be in those things, right? My health, my relationships. These are the things that are musts, not shoulds for me. You know, oh, I should do that. Well, this is a must, right? So I don't care what the cost is. It's not like I have an endless supply of money coming into my bank account every month. It's not like that at all. I I have a weird business philosophy. I reinvest all my dollars back into my company. <laughs> My wife does not like this loss. <laughs> I'm okay with that because I know that the more I reinvest in my businesses, the more successful they will be down the road. It's the same thing I would tell you in, in the way I work on my own psychology and understanding my history and understanding my behaviors. And the more I invest in that, the better I am at relationships, the more of a whole person I am, the more I love myself. I can say the same thing with my health. The more I invest in those supplements that make up for the lack of whatever nutrition I have in my body or the things that I don't have, the healthier I become. And so I just, just a philosophy, I reinvest, reinvest, reinvest in the things that have the most and biggest and greatest outcome. And that's really not money for me. It's health, it's family, it's nutrition, it's psychological improvement. Yes. It's these types of things. Because if I have all of those things, then I have the ability to go make a lot of money. Yes. So what I've heard is that the challenge in going and repairing, mending, strengthening relationships with the people that are important to you is working on your psyche. It's understanding your own behavior, where it comes from. It's then having the courage or the awareness to change it. And you finally reached a point where it was so painful that you had to change. So the question is, what action have you taken or are you taking to change in that moment when, you know, I've, I've done this before. I, I've wanted to change. and I didn't. And what makes it different this time that, that you're committed well, to changing? What, 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 you said that you wanted to change and you didn't. What was it? No, I, I think that you before have felt pain. You might have wanted to change, but you didn't take it. You, you didn't make the change in the bull in the china shop mentality with your people. And now it was so painful that you are changing. You've made that commitment. So what, what's the action look like for, for someone in your shoes who's ready to make that change and change that behavior? Committing and then acting on that commitment. I mean, I, I mean, it's kind of like what I just said. It's uh, sitting down with my partner and ironing out a deal where he gets more ownership in the company if I get more time back in my life. It's hiring Jeff Woods from formerly of the One Thing, so that he helps put helps us get helps me get organized and how I structure my company in a way that gives me my time back surrounding myself with incredibly great people from my business partner to my wife to my child to my friends it's hiring a mutual friend of ours who's a psychologist and one of the best in the world and 
literally writing a massive check for one year's worth of sessions every week where I have an accountability partner. I'm a huge believer in accountability, right? So I guess ultimately all of these things have that I'm putting in place have had to hold have have had I've had to be held accountable for. And I can't just make com- I'm going to do this and then I don't change. So that's really where where it is for me more than anything. Great, great answer. You know, it's the accountability. It's having people around you that can help you to live and manifest that that dream or, or live or manifest that that thing you want to change. And that's what I'm hearing. You you touched on something that I mean, I know you well, and I've listened to you talk before, but my, maybe not everyone has heard your story about your esophageal disease. So I'm wondering, aside from the 95 pills a day, that in itself sounds incredibly challenging. So what challenges there are you or have you overcome? Yeah, I mean, I have a rare esophageal disease called achalasia. It affects about one out of 100,000 people. Most of those people are in their 70s and 80s. Uh, I was diagnosed in my 30s. I was diagnosed about 11 years ago. I've had about 25 surgeries on my esophagus. I've had about six major surgeries. And basically the muscles and the nerves in the in my esophagus are dead. And according to doctors, there is no cure and they'll never work again. It makes eating really hard. So when you eat, you have a muscle that pushes food down into your stomach, right? It kind of like going to the bathroom. Like you have a muscle that pushes your poop out, right? It's kind of the same 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 idea. And so we all have this. Well, probably an autoimmune response to poor health and also probably a lot of stress that I self-induced that I didn't know I was carrying has created an autoimmune response that pretty much killed the esophagus. And so eating is a really big challenge for me. And so I've had to, so for like six or seven years, Matt, at the beginning of this disease, I didn't Google the disease. I outsourced the disease. I outsourced it to the Mayo Clinic. Wow, the Mayo Clinic, they're the best in the world, right? And when I had one of my major surgeries in 2016, the surgery, they, by the way, I'm 150 pounds and I'm about five foot nine, okay? So I'm not some big strapping dude. But they in this surgery I had in 2016, they cut 25% of my stomach out. They took the flap from the 25% they cut and they wrapped it around my esophagus and then they stapled it so that my esophagus would be stable and go in a north-south direction. And it had, it, it had curved when they went in and they curved into like a J. So food was sitting there eroding and sitting in my esophagus and eroding in there and they couldn't, it wouldn't empty into the stomachs. They had to do this major surgery. And so I went to the doctor and I basically at the Mayo Clinic afterwards and I said, yeah, I know, you know, this thing's not curable and all that stuff, but like, well, what's the long-term diagnosis for this? And he said, Philip, you've had like so many surgeries on this, on your esophagus to this point that there's, this is the last surgery you're going to be able to have. And, and this wrap and the stapled wrap is going to come undone in the next five to 10 years. This is 2016. And when it does, we're probably going to just put you on a feeding tube for the rest of your life. And that's the way you're going to consume food through a feeding tube. And so this is the doctor at the Mayo Clinic. And so I, I said, whoa, 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 you know, that that's not going to work for me. And he kind of laughed at me, like giggled, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, Philip, you know, here's what I need you to do. 
continue to take those medic those prescription meds I gave you. By the way, the prescription medications I I was taking because of all my doctors said to do it help relieve some of the pain in the short run, but has been shown to cause dementia and Parkinson's in the long run. So you have to balance that, right? And he's like, take your medication, see in six months. And so I have a little practice with pain that becomes too great that I have to make change. So I remember driving home from the Mayo Clinic, 2016, and saying, this this is just not going to work for me anymore. Like, I, I have to... I have to figure something out here. And one, I didn't want to take the prescription meds anymore. And then two, I, you know, I wanted to figure out if there was an actual way to cure the disease. It's a the disease with, you know, has never been cured. And here's the thing about rare diseases. They have no money behind them. No one's looking for a cure. <laughs> it's just the way rare diseases work. So I drove home that day. I didn't know what that meant. And about, took me about four or five months. But after about four or five months, a, had I had read a book called The Plant Paradox by a guy named Dr. Stephen Gundry, and it's all about. Oh, look at you! Did you like? Is this randomly that you have that book on your desk? Well, I knew I was talking to you. It's one of my favorite books. I follow the diet too. I mean, I, I that's why I have it here. Let's, yeah. let's play a game. Name a book. Any book. Any book. <laughs> Plant Paradox. Boom! Right there. I got it. Oh, my God, it's right in front of you. There we go. <laughs> so. You know, and I I got on the diet, and the next thing I knew, I, I was able to get off all my meds, all my prescription medications from that diet. And I became so obsessed with it that I reached out to Dr. Gundry. We became friends. Now he's my doctor. I've gone on his podcast, and I had a meeting with him about two weeks ago. He's he's really, really good good friend of mine now, but got on that. And then the second thing was I went to a business conference called Abundance 360. It's held by a guy, Peter Diamandis, who's business partners with Elon Musk. And he started Abundant, the Abundance 360, which is like, or he started the XPRIZE. Sorry, he, Abundance 360 is his mastermind, but XPRIZE is the you know, uh, probably everybody's heard. It's like they give cash, massive cash prizes for people that invent and solve big societal problems. And he gets on stage at his business mastermind. And he says, the first thing he says on stage is everybody pull out your notebooks and write down a moonshot. A moonshot is what people say is impossible and you will make possible. And then, you know, in the near future. Right. And, and so I'm at this business conference and I write down, I'll find a cure to this disease in five years. And this is in January, 2017. Okay. So, he said, the first thing you need to do is just to get momentum behind this moonshot, you know, take, do like one or two things immediately that it's going to get you, you know, massive momentum, right? So I, one of the things I did was I wrote an article, I got it placed in Inc. Magazine, and it was basically announcing that I had this disease and that I'd find a cure in five years. Frankly, no one outside of my family even knew I had the disease. It was sort of a shame thing. I'd not talked about it. I'd had it for about six or seven years. I would isolate myself. I ate every meal alone because I didn't want to deal with having to eat around people and constantly be drinking water with every bite and all that stuff. So I wrote this article. It shows up in Inc. A doctor at Johns Hopkins gets a Google alert from the article. We end up connecting. He told me, what are you talking about that you're going to find a cure? There's no cure. He goes, I've been working on this disease for 25 years, but maybe you and I could work on something together. Fast forward about three years later, I've got about 50, a team of 50 doctors around me. We get approval from the FDA, approval from Johns Hopkins. And right before the pandemic, 
They extract stem cells out of my thigh muscle. They grow them in a lab. And right before the pandemic hits, they injected 220 million stem cells into my esophagus to try to regenerate the muscles and the nerves. First human being to ever do a procedure like this. It's never been done on animals. That There's a theory behind why it would work. It takes too long to explain. I'm not going to get into it, but I'm the first person. We didn't know if it would there would be a really negative consequence out of this yeah. or a positive consequence. They had no yeah. idea. I signed away my life in order to try it, and then the pandemic hit. And so there was no follow-up. I couldn't do any follow-up with the doctors for almost like six months after the surgery, but I kind of knew the result. And the result was that the procedure, the, the, we did, it wasn't even a clinical trial. It was called a compassionate use case, which is about two steps before a clinical trial. And the doctor, and I knew exactly what had happened. It didn't work. I mean, I couldn't eat normally, right? Nothing, nothing was working. And so the, I did go back to Hopkins in August of 2020. They, they looked at everything. They said, yep, didn't work. And then the doctor said, we can try this one more time if you want. And there's a lot of risk. But if you want to do it one more time, and this time we're not going to insert 220 million stem cells into your esophagus, we got to insert 600 million stem cells into your esophagus. So I said, let's go for it. It took 13 months to get all the approvals again. And then in September of 2021, I walked into Hopkins. They injected all these things into me. About three days later, I'm about to have my first meal. The doctor said, you know, don't, if anything happens, don't expect anything to happen for like six to eight weeks. I just, I, I eat my first meal three days later. And for the first time in 11 years, things go down easier. And that has never happened in the history of this disease. And by the way, the ignorance of an entrepreneur is a beautiful thing because doctors at the Mayo Clinic laughed at me when I asked about a cure. Wow. And the ignorance of an entrepreneur. Yet, yeah. I, yeah. Wow. The ignorance of an entrepreneur is a beautiful thing. So I don't know. So I was like, oh, what in the heck is going on here? I you know, proceeded to have a, about a 30% improvement in my symptoms until about March of 2022. From then, we saw a little bit of a retraction in, in that improvement, but still probably about a 15, 20% improvement overall. I went to Hopkins about eight, about eight weeks, six, eight weeks ago. They did all those tests and they found that a certain part of my esophagus was functioning normal again, which created, they believe, the, my esophagus was able to heal all the scar tissue within the, within the esophagus, which has created more room for me to swallow and eat food. And, and therefore, the first person in human history has ever improved their symptoms with this particular disease. I did not cure it, but if you look back at that surgery in September of 2021, it took four years and about seven months from when I proclaimed I'd find a cure for me to, to you know, be the first person in human history to ever improve their condition with this disease. And so, you know, there's, you know, now I'm kind of like, okay, well, where are we going now? So we're kind of working on what the next step is. How do we do this? Uh, there's other ideas we want to do that are different than what we did this time. But it's going to take a long time for that to get approved. But we're working through kind of those options right now. But ultimately, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about a long time ago. People don't make change until the pain is too great. And I'm lucky enough to have a muscle to have work through pain 
and found success and know that it can be done and know that you just have to chip away at it every day and, and make progress. Today's episode sponsored by Read a Book Daily. What does that mean, read a book daily? Should I read a, an entire book every day? No, not an entire book every day. Read something every day. And if you were to start reading today, one thing you might pick up could be a book called The Undefeated Marketing System by Philip Stutz. What an amazing book. Either way, reading a book daily. Reading a book daily. Today's sponsor, the Eternal Optimist Podcast. So there are two major obstacles that you face, are facing, have faced. One being going back and connecting with all of your people in your companies. Two being health challenges for the last 11 years, including being given a very dire diagnosis in 2016. You're overcoming those. You truly are uh, above the water, super cool. Under the water, you're the duck going in overdrive. That's the way it would appear. There's one more pain uh, that I might even throw out there. The pain of patience and playing golf with you, that can be sometimes challenging because it's very, very tough to, to, to be in that place for me. It's got to be about me again. Well, <laughs> I have a problem. I played this weekend and I'm super streaky right now. Like I had eight pars and three bogeys yesterday. I also had, yeah, yeah. But then I had seven triple bogeys. Wow. Speaking of overcoming challenges, uh, I played in the, yeah. in the Charlotte City Amateur Championship qualifier last week, and I had a triple bogey in the fourth hole. I played the rest of the round on the par and qualified the number. So it was, wow. uh, it was exciting stuff. Not quite the challenges that you have shared, but I get the sense that everyone asks you about these, these, these challenges, and I don't want to ask you about the same stuff. What's a tiny thing, like it's a smaller challenge that you don't talk about as often. That might be something that just some everyday person can see and relate to and say, yeah, I'm, uh, I struggle with that too. Any smaller challenges? Because everything you've shared has been like colossal and giant. Anything small? Right now, yeah, I'm learning how to be a better fisherman. Mm. Mm. So that's a huge, like I... I uh, just moved to a house on the water in Florida, and I live on this huge body of water, and I'm trying to understand the times when fish are eating, what kind of fish, what are the baits I'm supposed to use, how do I find the right spots, because I'm trying to catch fish. I'm not a sportsman. Trust me on this. I'm not. I am a, I want to catch fish so I can come home and cook dinner for my family kind of person. And so I'm becoming slightly obsessed with it. I bought like, un, like seven different nets because you, in order to catch the fish in this particular, it's called a bay. It's behind the ocean. And in the bay, you have to use live bait, whether it's shrimp or minnows. And you can go to the store and buy the minnows. But right now, I'm like, well, I don't want to buy the minnows. I want to go catch the minnows and then use them. So I've had to, <laughs> I've had to learn how to keep the minnows alive. I had to buy nets so I can throw the nets in the water, pull the minnows in, put them in an aerated cooler that'll keep them alive for three days. And then I've bought a, a kayak that's a fishing kayak. And in August, I'm going to start fishing off that. I've been fishing off my dock learning when they when to catch fish when the fish aren't biting i'm learning all the little nuances so i know this is probably not what you think the challenge was but that's my challenge right now and i'm putting my phone down other and i'm putting my phone down with my family but i don't ever give myself time for myself and 
you know, this is a really, let me tell you a really cool thing. So I picked my daughter up from camp about a week ago. And the first morning that she's back home, we run out in the dock and we're fishing. And I'm like, okay, this is what I've learned. So I'm teaching her how to fish and I've got all the nets out there. And I'm like, okay, this is how you throw the net in the water. And she's watching me. She's like, okay, let's just go fish. So we fish or whatever. And we catch all this fish. And we come home and we make fish tacos for lunch that day. It was awesome. We're catching drum and redfish and catfish. And we're making all this stuff. And that afternoon, I'm like taking a nap. And I'm taking a nap. And I wake up from my nap. And I look out on the water outside our house, and my daughter is on the dock throwing the net out in the water all by herself. I hadn't pushed her, I hadn't asked her. And she's trying, she's like trying to figure out how to catch the fish through the net and like the minnows that use as bait, right? And so that was pretty cool. But that's a day to day thing that I'm just kind of obsessing on right now. And then in about two months, it'll be about it's hunting season starts kick in. I'll get back into obsessing about hunting. And, and you know, this, there are only so many hobbies we can have as family men. And golf has gone on the back burner, which kills me because I played horribly this weekend. And I realized there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it. I am. I'm. My heart is warm right now for a couple of reasons. A, you've been very congruent our entire discussion because when you go all in in something, you go all in. I was asking what the challenge was. You went down to the psychology of the minnow. I mean, that was pretty deep. Yeah. Well, it's been cool because I've learned how to catch the minnows, how to then use them, where to hook them, what times of day to fish, what kind of fish are going to bite them, all this stuff. And then I, I told my wife, come on out. We're going to go, you know, come fish with me. And she's like, oh, yeah. But if I, I set her up for success, she ended up catching this like 15 inch trout that it's a sea trout, but it's incredibly good. I mean, unbelievably tasting fish. And she caught it. And she's like, I want to do more fishing. And Parker, my daughter's like, I want to do more fishing. Now, everybody wants to join in as a family activity, not because I pushed it on them. But because I figured out how to give the most success and put us in a position to be successful and teach it and show them and then provide food for my family, they see the sustenance in that. They love that. We then have a meal together. We all eat the tacos. We talk about how fresh the fish is. We bond over the fact that we brought the food to the table. We didn't buy it at the store. There's so many different things that I love about the process that we're going through and learning all this stuff right now. And it's been, but the hardest part is just taking the first step because it's overwhelming because you're like, well, I'm going to go fish. I didn't catch anything. Well, that sucks. Let me go do something else. No, you just got to go let it and work. What else can I do? Like, oh, I'm a fail first person, Matt. I've always been that way. I fail first. I learn my lessons and then I grow. Mm. You may have just given the advice. I always conclude episodes by asking what's the piece of advice you might have for someone who is struggling with a big challenge. That may have been it. But if there's anything else, what might be that piece of advice for someone who's struggling with a challenge, Philip? Well, I don't know. I don't know what their challenge is. And if I say something, it may be helpful to me, but not they could be running into a direction that runs them into a wall. Mm -hmm. So, you know. I don't know. I just try to look at things and say, look, all I can tell you is my story. If someone reads, hears this and says it helps them, awesome. If somebody hears this and goes, oh, whatever, old man, that doesn't really re that doesn't resonate with me. Well, that's cool too, because I'm not the same as someone else, right? But 
I think you got to have big goals because I think you got to work towards some, um, somebody recently and one of our friends said, you got to have something to look forward to. You got to have something to do and you got to have someone to love. And if you have all three of those things, you're going to have a pretty successful life. And I, and I thought, yeah, right. I got to have something to do every day. I got to have something to look forward to, whether it's hunting, fishing, or moving out of my businesses and helping mentor and do all those types of things, or the vacations with my family and my wife, or teaching my daughter how to fish and having moments with her like that. Like all those things are big things that we're working towards. And then we got something to do every day to work towards those things. And then as long as I've got someone else to love, you know, my family and, and my friends, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good life. Mm. Couldn't agree more, brother. Couldn't agree more. How can our listeners find out more about you or, or check in on what you're up to? Any, any place we can connect with you? No, sorry. I didn't balance this conversation. I told you I was going to ask you all these questions, but you got me going. So I apologize no. on that. You can find me at philipstutz.com. I'm sure you will have the, the, that in the show notes, the proper spelling of that. Yeah. You can buy my books there. You can find out more about me and my companies, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. If someone were to be interested in taking you up or exploring more about being that person that can help take some of that load off and working one of your companies, and then how might they best reach out to you through your website? Yeah, there's forms on there to reach out and, and, and come to me. So that'd be awesome. I mentioned you heard this podcast and the finder's fee will come to uh, come to us and we'll spend it on some golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or on yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Uh, great. That finder's fee. What, what, what is your percentage now? Zero or is it zero? Well, 100% of nothing is still <laughs> decent. What's the ROI and a smile? So anyway, oh, we can go. help a friend. Philip, thanks so much for, for being here today. I love you. I love you, buddy. And your your mark on my life is substantial in a lot of different ways. So I'm in in a dark moment, everybody. Matt Drinkhan said, I'm always here whenever you need me. And I told him this, but I'll tell everybody else this. I never called him, but I thought about it every day and was able to get through that tough moment because I knew that there was someone out there that had my back. And that's Matt. And that's why I always smile when I think of him because he just there's there's something god gifted you with a uh with an ability to connect and i'm really grateful for you in my life thank you philip that's why i became a doctor and <laughs> on that note ladies and gentlemen philip thanks for being here brother thank you my man thanks for listening to the eternal optimist podcast you can check the show notes for information about today's episode and please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger We'll see you next time.